law school, corporate clerkship recruitment is considered to be especially demanding. Some of the dedicated lawyers who have survived this vicious process are part of an elite squad known as Allens. These are their stories. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Alan's Confidential. My name is Geneva and I'm joined by my creative soulmate and work wife, wife, Rose. How are you today, Rose? I'm well, thanks Geneva. How are you? I'm extremely excited, Rose. We've got a great episode coming up today. Now we do have two of our more junior guests that we've ever interviewed, which is an exciting change for us. (laughs) In all seriousness, (laughs) the two guests we have joining us today, we're very excited about. They are very special and Maybe too we, special for a podcast. <laughs> we are very, very grateful that they've made the time to come on the podcast. Down. We're not going to be able to live up to the hype. Because just, <laughs> bring it all down about 25% at least. Okay. Well, in light of bringing it all down, please give a warm welcome to our managing partner, Richard Spurio, and partner and head of innovation, Anna Collier. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I have to say head of innovation is my favourite title that anyone has at this, this firm. So we're going to definitely delve into that soon. But we do have to ask everyone the same question at the beginning of the podcast every time. So to ask both of you, what are your favourite podcasts that you listen to? Well, I, of course, uh, love the award-winning Alan's Confidential. <laughs> have we touched on the award-winning part of this before? I think we should, we should acknowledge that in our uh, inaugural uh, Allen's Value Awards, the Allen's Confidential Team won the, won the team award for best demonstrating the Allen's Value. So congratulations, team. Well deserved. Oh, thank oh, you so much. Very much. That isn't my resume already. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, look, apart from that, I'll have to admit I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bit new to the podcast world. I'm and I am. Uh, trying different things. But what I like listening to at the moment is uh, something on US politics called 538 Politics. And also I quite like uh, Houston, we have a podcast, which is something that comes out of NASA. And I realised that both of those things are really interesting to listen to because they're very different to what I do in my day job. And I really like listening to people talk about things that they are passionate about, even if I'm not particularly passionate about it, but listening to people talk about it and be excited about it and get into it, um, I find pretty interesting. Can I ask what the best space fact you've learned is? If you're 15 or 16 year old, someone, someone has been in space for your entire life. Whoa. The International Space Station. So I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, I could wow. have got that. That is a really good fact. Yeah. Since 1960. No, 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 as in continuously. Oh, living continuously. in space. Continuously, yeah, yeah. Different people. That's but, fascinating. But there's always been somebody in space. Right. Yeah. International Space fact. Station, yeah. Good fact. If I knew the date, it would be awesome. Yeah. But, um, anyway, that was, yeah. But post-production. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great title, too, for a podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's really clever. I like that. Yeah. Apparently, there was um, a legal podcast that I've recently been recommended, and I'm sad, actually, that this name was taken, and also that we have a pre-existing name, because it was called Radio Decidenda, <laughs> and I thought that was a great legal pun name for a podcast. You would think that, yes. Yes, I was into it. What about you, Anna? Have you got a favourite podcast? Um, so I'm going to confess um, that I actually don't listen to podcasts, so that may be slightly controversial for the head of innovation. So I have listened to this podcast. So this, Alan's Confidential, is in fact, without doubt, my favourite podcast because it is the only one that I've listened to. I, I kind of get information in lots of different ways, but some really old-fashioned ways still, including I'm in a book club. 
um, which is a specific innovation book club. It's run, run by one of the innovation consultancies that we work with and they have a network of heads of innovation or equivalent. Um, and we have a regular forum and, yeah, and then they send us a book once a month, which is uh, really helpful and really interesting. That's oh. so cool. Any recommendations from the book club? Um, so currently I'm reading something called The Startup Way by Eric Reese, which he was very famous for writing a book called The Lean Startup, which I haven't read. So it's a little bit like jumping into The Empire Strikes Back before you've read Star Wars. So <laughs> do this one. Uh, but it's kind of really helpful because it's about how the kind of principles that startups engage in order to build a business can be translated into a more traditional environment like the one that we have. So it's quite helpful. Very cool. Well, in terms of the beginnings of your career, obviously you're both very successful. You've done a lot of interesting things over your time at Allen's, but we'd love to know how you got started at the firm and sort of the beginning of your legal careers and what that looked like. Oh, well, I had a um, sort of an a interesting journey into where I ended up in the energy sector. So going back to my title, the partner bit is because I still practice as a partner and my focus is in the energy sector. So I started out at in a peculiar little group called um, Superannuation Property and Trusts, um, which was pretty um, the engine room of the firm at the time, no doubt. Um, and I was articled to a fellow called Mark Kershaw, who was the superannuation guru of Australia. Um, but helpfully at the time, he also had maintained a relatively smallish commercial practice. And when I mean small, I mean smaller clients than traditionally the firm acted for. And so it was actually possible for him to completely delegate to me matters like a sale of business um, because it was of a scale that could be done by someone who was in their very first year of practice. And so I can remember doing one which was... Um, he had a client who owned a string of, of garages and they seemed to sell one off each year because the year before me, Richard Malcolmson, who's another um, partner at the firm, had been Mark's article clerk and had done a sale of one of these garages. And so I had this fabulous set of precedents just to copy as I was trying to figure out, you know, in wading through the what on earth am I doing here experience how to sell a business. But in some ways, it's such a great way to learn because you've got to figure everything out for yourself as opposed to... Um, the more traditional way that people learn here, which is being at the bottom end of a very large matter. So that was a kind of a, a cool way to start. I then segued into the litigation group um, where I spent about a year and a half at the complete opposite end of the scale working on a mega matter for Michael Schenberg, who was, you know, one of the big personalities of the firm and only ran like really huge, enormous matters. Um, and when we get to the questions around how much has changed, like my experience in litigation is just so different to how litigation would be these days. Um, but I loved it. And for a little while, I thought I was going to go off to the bar until a wonderful partner called Graham Johnson from the commercial group, he said, um, and I'd really like you to just give commercial a try. Just come over and give us a go and see if you like it. Um, and I was a bit of a cricket tragic at the time, and he acted for the Australian Cricket Board. So the first thing that I got to do was to rewrite the sponsorship agreements for the Australian Cricket Board. So he kind of sold me on that. This is a really fun, awesome part of the firm to be in. Um, and it was about that time that the Victorian government was the first government in Australia that privatised electricity assets. And I like literally happened to have capacity on the day that someone was looking for the junior lawyer to help review this complete new suite of regulatory instruments. Um, and so I was the bunny that did it. And then I became the firm expert because I was the only person who'd read them. And so then I kind of read them again and again and again. And lucky for me, I just really liked it. There was something about the mix between 
the economics and the policy and the engineering and the law, that kind of made it a really fascinating place, not to mention that it was new. And so I kind of always had this sense that I knew as much as anybody else did. There was kind of like no no kind of belief that somebody who'd been doing something for 20 years knew more than me because I knew that that wasn't the case. Um, and so then I was just able to stay in that space and build a practice out of that. The firm, a couple of years later, got a job um, acting for the South Australian government when it was privatising and I was part of that team as a senior associate and got to lead quite a lot of work around developing new regulatory instruments. So in some ways that was also the start of my interest in innovation because what I've done in my practice is more often than not do something that hasn't been done before. So I wrote something called settlement residue auctions, I wrote an electricity pricing order and so these were things where there wasn't like an existing precedent and the job was to make them up from scratch. And so I think that's where kind of my interest in trying new things and having to come up with something that hasn't been done before really started. I did not. That's really that exciting. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I started actually the, um, the year after Anna. Uh, I started in the tax group at the firm uh, and I really enjoyed my uh, time in, in tax. Um, it was, uh, yeah, so, and then after that, in my uh, second year, I went up to into our corporate group, um, and this was so. I started in 1995, uh, and uh, but I always I really enjoyed my time in tax. That's what I wanted to. Have my heart set on being a tax lawyer. I don't know why, but I did. Uh, after I did my year in tax, uh, in my year in corporate, I should say, in, um, I was persuaded to do another year in corporate but I and then after that I wanted to go back to tax so I spent my fourth year at the firm sort of with a foot in the tax camp and a foot in the corporate M&A camp trying to do both but uh, it's a bit too hard to dabble in tax law it's a little bit uh, specialized <laughs> so uh, dangerous <laughs> and dangerous yeah so at the end of that year I uh, I, I decided to stay in M&A and um, uh, and so that I spent a number of years in M&A um, uh, working for lots of uh, interesting clients, doing lots of um, interesting things. I had some great uh, opportunities and, uh, you know, eventually worked uh, for a little while as the head of the head of the group and then I've been in this job as managing partner for about three or so years. How has your experience of being a partner at Islands changed since taking on the managing partner role? Do you find that it's unbelievably different or...? Similar in some ways. Oh, look, it's very, it's very different. And there are bits of being a practicing partner that you really miss. I mean, being in a practicing part, uh, being a practicing partner when you're engaged in transaction, you really are um, get to be in the trenches with the client, and you do get to really experience the ups and downs of a of, of a transaction. Um, you know, there's there's a great great um, feeling of satisfaction when you can help a client get to a really good outcome. Uh, you know, call close a deal or finish a takeover or or just uh, in my case there are lots of clients that I have been lucky enough to work for since you know since almost I started in the group over that 20 or so years and and you get to know the people very well you get to help them through lots of different things so one of the things I enjoyed about my practice was it wasn't just uh, one takeover to the other or one uh, buying and selling assets from the other. We actually got the opportunity to work with clients and, you know, do whatever they were doing at the time. And so that, you know, that could have been, uh, 
you, you, you help them with, uh, you know, listing more questions, help them with share plan questions. Then, you know, back when Anna and I were younger, we worked together, we helped Bendigo Bank on set up this whole community bank model that now is very successful for them, which was all sort of partly franchising, which is stuff that neither of us had done uh, before. So so being with a client and helping them on their journey and helping through lots of things, that's the bit that is a bit different in this role when you're not as close to clients. I mean, I am absolutely always talking uh, to clients and seeing them very regularly and understanding what's going on and what their needs are, but you're not actually helping them in, in, a, in a particular transaction. So that's the bit of the job that's different. But on the plus side, um, there's fantastic bits of this job. You get to see people um, do lots of different things. You're, uh, you work with people in a different way, both internally and, and externally. Uh, you get their ability to make great change um, in a firm and you help, you know, help really uh, for people within the firm try and be the best they can be. So there's lots of, lots of plus sides in this role. Um, Get excited to be on a really great podcast. <laughs> well, I hope so. I hope That's so. Invitations yeah. roll in. <laughs> I mean, th- that sounds from both of you pretty spectacular and pretty amazing. Yeah. I think um, I personally would love to know, did you have any career missteps earlier on that at the time you thought, oh, my God, this is it. This it's is the end. <laughs> I should quit now. Because um, I think there's a lot of comfort in knowing that, you know, embarrassing things happen and something that you think is tragic at the time ends up being a laugh later on. Uh, yeah, look, how long do you have on this? Just pick one. So when I was at, still at university and still studying law, uh, there was, a, I think, a, a inter-university football match one day between the law, between the law schools and uh, I was playing and that, that game was sponsored by um, the firm back then, Arthur Robinson Hedewigs, as, as it was here in Melbourne. Um, and actually, Graham Johnson, who Anna mentioned earlier, was the staff partner, and he was there in capacity as uh, sponsoring the game. Uh, and at the end of the game, I was drinking out of a sort of jug of water. I was drinking just a jug of water. And uh, I was getting a little bit of uh, 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 ribbing from some of the some of my friends who were on the boundary line. And as I sort of turned around to throw the jug of water at them after the game, Graham walked in between me and my friends. So I completely covered him, the start partner, <laughs> in a jug of water, months out from applying to him for a job. <laughs> it's fair to say I, I, I didn't think my prospects at the firm then were, were very good. But Graham was terrific and we still laugh about it now when, uh, whenever I see him um, and he remembers it vividly as well. So... Um, you know, in terms of pouring a jug of water over the person who's going to give you a job, that, 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 that's not a great start. Um, so um, back in the day, we had a, um, an annual event, which was a, almost a whole of firm retreat. It was called the Golf Weekend. At my first dinner, I don't know if you've kind of already picked up from this, but I'm sort of a slightly quiet, serious type, but I kind of felt that I you know, wanted to get involved in the spirit of the firm and, you know, try and kind of make friends and all that kind of stuff. So we're at a you know, long table and Graham was sitting opposite me and trying to make conversation. And I decide, I have like no idea what's coming. I decide that I'm going to tell some jokes. So I told two of the worst jokes ever. <laughs> Let's hear the jokes. Silence. Let's <laughs> Seriously, oh. no. And Graham's just gone, wow, brave. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's not what you want to hear. Anyway, who later on convinced me to move into the commercial part of the firm, so it must have had some kind of impact (laughs) for the bravery, if not for that. um, (laughs) At least you'd be brave enough to to get in front of a client and say something, and he could just work on what it was that you you were going to say. Do you have a water-related... I actually have a pretty similar story to Richard. Um, Also, from just before I started the firm, my university job was at Parliament House in the Federal Press Gallery, which is quite a small little corridor, and I was working for um, a legal and political news monitoring firm. And we had these two very little rooms, one that the sub-editors and editors sat in and then one across the hall which had just all the tea stuff but also all of the technical, you know, the servers and everything (laughs) expensive. And I was a bit thirsty on my first shift and I thought, oh, well, the the water cylinder that's in this room is empty and I'm, you know, I'll do the responsible thing and I'll change it over. I've never done that before either. (laughs) And, And I did it and I thought, oh, it's great, it's gone so well. It hadn't. It had <laughs> filled up one cup of water for me. I then happily went off into the other room where I was sitting learning how to do my new job. And then about two hours later, my boss's 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 boss, who was in Canberra visiting, cool. comes into the room and says, someone has flooded the tea room. The water is going towards the <laughs> servers. We need some. You have to get in there and fix it. <laughs> Oh no! This is this is it. This is the end. Um, so I spent the the remaining three hours of my first shift on my hands and knees in this tea room with tea towels, <laughs> just trying to mop up the floor. I have actually not changed a water cylinder since then, and I was not allowed during the four years that I worked at that place. Good thing you didn't mention that in your first interview at Allen's. I mean, my first interview at Allen's had its own hurdles. It had its own quirks. <laughs> That featured in an earlier pod, podcast, yes. didn't it? For it listeners, did. please head back to short episode one where you'll hear that terrifying story. The teaser episode. <laughs> Sounds as though a lot has changed um, within the firm, you know, over the last couple of years. So we'd love to hear your insights into what has changed and sort of the different the differences you see today in Allen's. So it's nice of you to suggest that it's the last couple of years. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. The last quarter, 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 of quarter of a century of the words you're looking for. I'll let you put the timing on it. That's fine. <laughs> uh, well, actually, going back to one of the other podcasts that Victoria mentioned, she said that when she started, she didn't have a PC on her desk, which I found extraordinary because actually we did have PCs mm. on the desk when I started. But, but, but that, they, didn't, but have, they had, didn't have external email. No, they didn't have Google. <laughs> No. There was no Google. No. Um, and so um, we had internal email, which was quite extraordinary. Um, but our form, our um, fancy, you know, new form of communication in those days was the fax. And we, in fact, had two people, both called Peter, who had full-time jobs, which was collecting faxes that needed to be sent. And we had a great big fax room with multiple fax machines that you would, you know, then they would go through and you would sort of have to wait anxiously to see if the person's fax machine at the other end accepted your fax or not to know whether your correspondence had been delivered. So there was none of this sort of instantaneous type an email, send it out. And this matter that I talked about earlier when I was in litigation, we actually acted for 14 banks. 
And so every time we sent a communication to our client, it had to go to 14 different fax numbers, which actually meant waiting to get back from 14 different institutions whether or not this fax had been delivered. So it was just... Absolutely. And Friday night was amazing down there because everyone was trying to get their faxes out. And and you would be, they'd be running around with, you know, running multiple different fax machines and ringing... Uh, you you get the phone call sometimes that you know the phone number you the fax number you given them was wrong or yeah. it was wrong or that the the paper in New York was out of printer can you contact them to put, <laughs> they had a paper can you contact them to put paper in the machine yeah. anyway yeah. it was a bit bizarre yeah. <laughs> so it's just really interesting that in our lifetime that's the, the dramatic change in what technology has done the other one that I that I really love is the idea of a data room so you guys would all be very familiar with the virtual data room where you log onto the system and you find you you know all your documents and there's sometimes some hassle with whether you're allowed to print them or not or all that kind of stuff. Um, the very first deal that I did, again, Victorian privatisations, a data room was a physical place and there was documents in folders on shelves and because they were running four bidders, they had four of them. So they had, because we, it was secret who each other was and there was this whole kind of like secret squirrel thing of, well, where's your data room in this location <laughs> CBD? And you would find your way down and you had to sign in and then you would sit in this completely airless, lightless room reviewing documents that you weren't allowed to take with you um, and you usually weren't allowed to have a dictaphone in there and there was no such thing as no. a mobile phone. They're literally making us these documents. So, again, the kind of quantum leap to how we do that now and I've, I've met with um, our actual VDR provider yesterday who was showing us a new product of what's going to be the next quantum leap and Mark Molinas and I were sitting with our mouths open going, oh, okay, well, this is going to fundamentally change what we do here. Um, so I think as a, for all the change that we've seen over that time, it's just getting faster. Um, and so that kind of probably segues me into talking about what I do. But yeah, well, I, think, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, yeah. this, it was the, the changes in, in the first half of our career I have been have been much slower than in the second yeah. half where the change yeah. has been constant. Yes. Um, which is really exciting, but, yeah. and, and, it's, and, uh, it's, it's really changed the way we do, do things and how, um, work gets done and, um, how we interact with each other. Yeah. So, um, but you're right. I absolutely agree that the, the, the pace of change now is, is so much, so much quicker. Yeah. I mean, I might just say I did actually literally this week have a conversation with people. We were talking about um, service in the High Court and um, how you can serve through fax machines. And we were just saying, like, oh, Alice has a fax number. And then everyone was saying, do we have a fax machine? Where is the fax machine? Where would we receive a fax? We had no idea. Yeah, it's probably probably somewhere in the basement somewhere that, you know, with with cobwebs on it. When you get a fax, they email it to you. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Well, maybe yeah. we should think then, you know, what, what is ahead for the law? And Anna, you, uh, we'd love to talk about the Allens Hub um, and UNSW because I, I think it's such a cool thing that we're doing at the moment. It would be great to hear more from you about it and sort of, you know, where are we headed? Yeah, and certainly Geneva and I have had a great experience with the firm's engagement with that as members of the inaugural debate, which saw Geneva, unfortunately, her team win the debate, which was on the topic of should artificial intelligence be afforded legal personhood is that the best way to deal with it? I was on the affirmative side. 
in aid of my argument, I wore a tin hat. Yes, but that was a highlight for The me. reasoned arguments and well-constructed jokes of the negative team won the day. <laughs> yes. I'm glad this is now immortalised in the podcast. I'll get over it one day. <laughs> you're, not, you're not carrying a grudge, are you? You're gonna... Never. Right, Rosie, that helps. I mean, it doesn't keep me awake at night. <laughs> <laughs> when I spoke to the, um, the guys from the university afterwards, they said that uh, the negative team did have the slightly easier case. Both from, um, comedy. Robots aren't people. Yes. <laughs> Let's not take away from my glory. <laughs> okay. Um, so the Ellen Tub is, is um, one of my favourite things that I get to be involved with. And it's a little bit different to what we were talking about before. And we can come back to talking about how I think technology is going to really transform the way that we practice law. But it's this, it's, it's really around the issue of how does the law itself cope with massive change in technology and the innovation that comes with it. So we were approached by the university to see if we were interested in sponsoring the hub and um, we are just so intrigued by what they were doing. So they've got uh, many different academics who are all looking at issues to do with sort of rapid change in technology. The law kind of just being so far behind. So. Um, things like the proliferation of data, how does Facebook use our data, how should Facebook be allowed to use our data? Um, and, you know, then the question that you, that you guys grappled with, which sounds kind of really, you know, Terminator forward looking, but actually as you found out in the debate, like this is what we're already working with is autonomous vehicles. And, you know, everybody kind of is asking the question, oh, if an autonomous vehicle crashes, who's responsible for it? Is it the software programmer? Is it the manufacturer? Is it the person who was sitting in the car? Or, you know, what you were kind of contemplating was, is it the car itself? Um, so there are people kind of like grappling with these issues. And I think that within the, you know, this generation of lawyers, these things are starting to become real. And one of the things that the hub's really trying to work with is that it's the way that we make law at the moment, it's always behind, it's always catching up. And so is there a different way that we can think about approaching how we regulate um, these, you know, things in a different way? One of the things that's really interesting is in some ways the really old-fashioned law does it better. So you've kind of got your law of tort and negligence. Well, negligence still works if it's kind of like regulating um the snail in the bottle thing, or if it's somebody who's programming an autonomous vehicle, like you still, the same principles are still able to be applied. And the beauty of the common law is that it's got this flexibility that enables these principles to adapt as changing circumstances. Whereas what we seem to try more to do, the more, um, the more complex life becomes, the approach of policymakers and, and lawmakers seems to be to try and nail everything down. So let's have an act that deals with X and let's make some regulations that deal with Y and let's make them so complex that nobody will ever be able to read them from start to finish or so bespoke that as soon as X sort of morphs, which we know it will because that's kind of what tech does, it doesn't work anymore. Um, so the work with the university is really around supporting the academics um, who are working in this area. Um, and what they really get out of it is connection with us, who are actually the people who practice law. So we're the ones who have got like this real interest in the law being something that we can actually work with, but also with our clients. For me, like I was um, actually at university, not a particularly academic lawyer. I've only got an undergrad degree where I keep being surrounded by all these people with masters and PhDs, but it's a really nice, different way of thinking about, you know, both of the things that I do here, which is about, you know, um, 
uh, advising clients on what the law is or, you know, when I'm lucky enough, what the law should be, um, kind of trying to work out how we practice law better. This is like trying to think about, like, what is the law and what is it trying to do and how can the law be better? So it's a, it's a very, it's a great privilege, actually, to be able to spend some time in that space. And there's a great advisory board that sits around yes. that, isn't it, Anna? Yeah. Anna, which is made up from the universities and clients yeah. and so it's one, must be a great forum to discuss these issues. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so Ian McGill actually sits on yeah. that board and it's really interesting when you get a collection of people who are thinking about it at that kind of different levels to sort of get their perspectives. Another really big issue um, that everybody's sort of grappling with is, is cyber security. So just, you know, that's, uh, um, again, where should the law be um, in that space? And another thing that came out of we did a series of forums with general counsel is around community expectations and again came out of the Banking Royal Commission is that sometimes, you know, the law is X, but the, what, the, what now seems to be the case is community expectations may be Y. It's very hard to kind of for general counsel to pick what community expectations are and to ensure that their company is abiding by them, particularly in an era of rapid change. So the kind of it's, you know, one of the conversations we have was about that increasing pressure on general counsel who in some ways are, you know, the sort of the the keeper of the, the their organisation's reputation to continue to be able to do that um, in that kind of context. So again, it's some way that we can help clients at least by connecting them with each other so that they're able to have those kind of dialogues. Um, and you know, in the same way that me with my heads of innovation all getting together to talk about stuff that we're all grappling with is just really useful. We hope that we provide a forum where clients can do something similar. Wow, I mean. That's really exciting to me, and I love that Alan this is part of that debate. And it makes me feel proud to work here. Um, do you think that this, for people sort of at our level and, and at a junior level, how do you think that this sort of innovation, the development in the law, but also in legal practice, will affect them going forward in their careers as they're starting out? Um, I think it's so exciting where you guys are at in your careers right now because I do think, you now going back to the conversation we were having before, Richard and I have seen, you know, dramatic change from when we started and, you know, we're not that old. Um, but the pace of change has just, like, changed exponentially. So I think that you have this opportunity to really shape the way that law is practised and to really kind of make a difference to how that we can provide service to our clients. So... I think there's a, you know, there's a lot of talk about technology and are the robots going to take our jobs. So some of the things that, you know, we've been doing internally with technology is really looking at the, 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 the boring and the routine and the time consuming tasks that junior lawyers do, which nobody likes. Um, and actually finding a better way to do them. So, you know, we had, um, a great, um, product that was created an internal, internally last year by someone in our internal uh, lab team. Um, which instead of taking the ASIC searches and summarising them into a report format for a DD report, well, you still need the information in the report format, but that's not a particularly um, exciting challenge for someone who spent five years at university. So he wrote a piece of software which just extracts the information directly from the ASIC database into our report format. So all that you need to do now is just do a QA to make sure there hasn't been any glitches along the way. Um, and so being able to find time-saving things like that, it just enables lawyers to get to the more interesting strategic legal bit quicker. Um, what I, I think is from a law student's perspective, I know that many of the universities are now including technology as part of their teaching and I think there's two good reasons for doing this and we ran a, a coding trial last year, um, which I can talk about in a moment. But the first is 
But I do think that lawyers need to understand what the technology is that they're using. And we've done a couple of um, seminars recently on ethics and just being able to work with the technology means having a basic understanding of what it does, but mostly what it doesn't do. Because I find that there's a lot of hype about what tech can do, which is unrealistic. Um, and so knowing where the person's got to step in and actually take over is really important. Um, and I think the other thing about learning tech is that there are going to be some really interesting different career opportunities for people who have that combination of skills in both law and technology. And we see that already. So a number of the people in our lab have both qualifications. Um, and then we've actually got one of our senior associates from Mac who had a computer science degree who's recently moved from the legal side of the business into the lab side of the business. So I can just see that as a growing area of interest and opportunity. Um, I think the other thing that I would say for people coming into the law and junior lawyers is going back to this concept of change is, is, is you will live in an era of change. So that's what it's going to be like. And so that ability to be adaptable and have a growth mindset and learn new things is a really important part of what I think um, will make people successful. And um, uh, I had this conversation with a, with a VAT clerk a couple of years ago. And I said, oh, so what you really need to do is you need to be adaptable to change. And he looked at me quite seriously and goes, Anna, is there a course? How can I learn to be adaptable to change? Which, of course, was a really good question to which I had no answer. Um, but as I thought about it, I think the most important thing is for us to have a broad perspective. So going back to Richard's very opening comment about the podcast that he likes, I think listening to other stuff that's quite unrelated to what we do or reading about what's happening in other areas or from a student's perspective, studying like quite diverse range of, of subjects is a really is part of how you gain perspective and how you become good at change and sort of good at learning new things. And I, I just add to that, Anna, that I think, you know, one of the great things for the firm is seeing um, new people come into the firm and bring new ideas, new perspectives, different backgrounds, a whole new way of thinking about things. And a lot of the stuff that we are doing, a lot of the um, new things that we're doing are coming out of out of our younger people who, who see things differently um, and have got a great ability to bring things that they sort of take for granted at other contexts and change the way we do things, whether it's the ASIC thing, whether it's um, some of the other automation that we're doing, some of the work we did around zombie hunts in, in changing the way we did in the firm. So I think, you know, for me personally, it's really exciting to see those new ideas come into the firm and changes happening, but also for the, from the firm's perspective, uh, it's great to see um, the new, new ideas coming in. Oh, absolutely. And it's so much, you know, people who come in and haven't done it the same way for 10 years are just going to be much more likely to go, what? You want me to do that? Why would I do that? Why isn't there a piece of technology that does that? And that's kind of exactly what we want. We want more people to be going, why am I doing this kind of task? This seems ridiculous in this day and age because then we've sort of, we've got the capacity and the people with the skills who can look at it and go, you're right, I didn't know you were doing that. Let me write a piece of code to fix it. So that's kind of what we would love to see and why we think that actually that's the, you know, the opportunity in the firm for innovation really does come from, you know, all parts of the firm, but I think most, most particularly from um, our junior lawyers. Um, and I think to Richard's point around diversity, it's also critical because without diversity, and I mean all different types of diversity from gender to the different skill sets that we have within our organisation to, you know, um, culture and social and all that kind of different stuff, more ideas is better, right? So the more different ideas that we can get, the more likely we are to come up with a good one. 
um, that will really kind of nail how we want to, you know, make this better for our clients or do this in a different way for our clients. So um, yeah, diversity is a, is a real absolute driver of uh, successful innovation. I mean, I think some of the themes that we're touching on now are particularly relevant to what is our final question that we'd like to ask all our guests. You know, we'd love to know from your perspective, what's the best piece of career advice you could give someone who's just starting out? And obviously here there's, you know, having a varied skill set is amazing and having interests that you can bring to the firm and help you come up with new ideas and new perspectives. But, you know, if there's someone fresh starting their legal career, what's the best piece of advice that you receive that you could give them? Uh, well, stay away from the water, from, a, from <laughs> the water cylinder. So, you know, I second uh, that. <laughs> now, look, I um, I really like. We have a uh, we met at Allen's um, dinner um, that we have every year, where we get really interesting people to talk uh, about their experiences. And one of the things that was said by one of our guests. Um, a year or so ago has always really stuck with me. She said that when she was brought up, her parents always told her to have a big life. And um, that just, to me, I always interpret that to, you know, make a difference, have an impact, get involved, do things. Um, and, you know, that can be in, in, in a lots of different ways. But just, but just setting out to actually um, Make a difference and do something and get involved. I think would be I think it's a terrific way or a terrific attitude to have when you when you come into a mm. you know, firm like ours. Yeah, I like that. I mean, mine's probably similar, which is to take advantage of unexpected opportunities. Um, if someone kind of comes and asks you to do something or try something, you go, I've never thought of doing that. It's probably a really great idea to give it a go because that person's asking you for a reason, and you never know where it might lead, and you know, it may lead nowhere, but you've not lost anything in that. And you probably learned something valuable that will help you in where whatever path you take. Great advice. And, well, if thank you, you, uh, and, and if you've got an idea for a podcast, I'll do that as well. That's my <laughs> Come to us first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hey, hey, this market's yeah. cornered up. <laughs> um, but seriously, thank you both so much for, for joining us to do this podcast. We love doing it and we love talking to our guests and it's been a pleasure to talk to both of you and hear your perspectives on the firm. Yeah, real delight. Thank you both very much. No, thank you. It's terrific. I think this is a, a you've done a great job. And I, I uh, as we said earlier, I love listening to it to hear other people's perspectives on the firm. So it's a, it's a, it's a great idea. So well done. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.